All right, y'all, welcome to FM Mission, the podcast for people on a mission in arts, entrepreneurship, and activism. I have a very special guest with me today, the Reverend Christian King from the Pink House. I met Reverend King at the In Place Impact uh, program at the College of Charleston. Yes. Well, how many years? At least five? At least five. Yes. Yeah. 2020 got away from me. <laughs> so I keep thinking it's four years or two or one year, but it's five years. Yes, at least. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, when I met Rev, her, her program at the College of Charleston, you, you brought your idea to the, the class, and Rev's was the pink house where we mm-hmm. sat here. Right. Obviously, you see where they got the name. Yes. Um, and, and Rev's idea really stuck out to me because as I was in the class and listening to people, we all did a study session over at Meredith's house one time, who's been very involved here in Weekology Gardens. She's involved in the Light and Soul Corporation. Hopefully, I have Meredith on here one day uh, soon. But um, I, I was in the class. I said, you know, to me, it seems like the Pink House is doing what we're trying to do. Why don't we help Rev become successful as a cornerstone to build from? Uh, you know, we're there and. Because I only I immediately, when I had a chance to really hear and look what you're doing, mm-hmm. I kind of saw it, and I, and I saw there is a woman in the trenches doing it. So that big introduction, yes. Reverend Christian <laughs> King, y'all, uh, we're sitting outside the Pink House. Why don't you tell people what your mission at the Pink House is, and we'll go from there. Okay. Our mission here at the Pink House is to be a center for youth engagement. And one of the things that uh, we use more as our tagline is that it is easier to uh, build strong children than it is to fix broken adults. Yeah. And that's a Frederick Douglass uh, quote. Yes, it is. I didn't know that's where that came from. Yeah. And um, it's something to me that makes common sense in terms of to use the foundation of the childhood so you're the children are able to go through to prepare in terms of leadership, directions, and they have a sense of confidence in learn, knowing who they are with making decisions and being what we all call the uh, citizenship, being able to yeah. go through in adulthood to be able to make those decisions that's needed to be the leaders. Yeah, and, and that's your mission, to help get these kids on the right path. Exactly. And uh, I know Rev, you know, and I've been at the Pink House meeting. She lives this mission wholeheartedly. She she really does. What got you on a mission like that? Actually, I was youth pastor for my church, no. and uh, one of my ways of teaching the Bible uh, to uh, anyone is to be able to read it, discuss what's there, basically using critical thinking, but in such a way that you know how to apply it to your life that is not just something read, that you've read a esoterical yeah you know, so when we have we were a small uh, church and the kids who were there a lot of times my kids would bring other uh, kids with them and when I would go through to try to get them to actually discuss this and understand it and apply it to their lives I found there was a challenge that Johnny couldn't read and so that was a shock to me because I thought, of course, everybody could read. And when I learned that, that meant it was needful for me to be able to find the tools to help them uh, grab those tools and be able to use them. Yeah. Not for me to go through 
and now take and interpret for them what those, this uh, Bible was saying or how it applied to their lives, but to give them the tools to do that. Well, we were talking about before we set this up, we were talking about if you don't have the foundation, then later. And what a, I like you, when, when I first, you told me these statistics about reading that, I kind of like you thought, well, most, you know, 95, 98% of American kids could read. Right. And you were telling me some statistics that you just know that in your local area. Mm-hmm. And I was talking with a friend about it, and they said, yeah, there's no way. And I said, well, you know, this this is, you know, I'm hearing this right, you know, from the ground level from people. Mm-hmm. But you're right. If you can't really read well, and I wasn't a great reader. I you know, mm-hmm. probably had dyslexia or something growing up when I look back on it. And I, but in my old age, I, I learned to read because I found a place of motivation in my heart where if I didn't expand my knowledge and mind, I was stuck where I was. Mm -hmm. And so my own motivation then, all of a sudden I liked reading because I found my motivation. But to your point, right, is these kids you're trying to help, Mm -hmm. outside of that, if they couldn't read, they were stuck with one, your interpretation. Exactly. And that may be wrong, right? Right. And it may be wrong for their lives. Right. For them and their choices. So for them to be authentic who they are and allow the purpose in which they were born to come out and to manifest, they needed to be able to have those tools that would help release who they are within. This would be a tough world to do anything very lasting and positive if you couldn't read. Exactly. I mean, it really would. Exactly. My my step-grandfather could not read. Had... um, you know, his whole life, he, he went, and none of us really knew this. Um, you know, this wasn't something that was talked about, anything, but but later we realized that, and there's some discussions with family, and mm-hmm. all that he did to compensate for this. And he he had more money than most people I knew, because, you know, I've told you, I've come from not money, right, and kind of rural Indiana stuff. Right. So he was a very brilliant person. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in hindsight, there was a lot of limits. You know, and this really caused him, he, um, he was really old school. He'd probably be in his... Uh, 90s now almost okay. his world view in a lot of ways I think was limited to that because of his right limit he, he couldn't really explore things that were up to his intelligence because he was brilliant right exactly. like I said, he, yeah and, and looking back and that some of that um, I think that's why sometimes people do have this very defensive posture to anything different than them you right. know if we're talking about the black and white thing just to say it yeah right? but because but if you don't have a foundation to get some understanding, mm-hmm. you need to be defensive. Exactly. Because survival. Survival, exactly. Yeah. And so um, as a result of, of that, I went through to find whatever um, tools or training that I could, that I could bring back and then allow them to experience so that they could then take ownership of those tools and be able to work it. Well, later on, my kids uh, graduated, and um, but the parents of some of the other kids went through and they uh, began to see or need a uh, help when the kids would be in school. And for whatever reason, I was the one that they came to to ask to go with them to the schools. So you're actually like a, a, a liaison, a, a go-between often? Actually, I felt as more like I was an interpreter. Yeah. Yeah, and I was that bridge between the two to get a uh, win-win situation where 
one each was hearing the other and we could understand and create a path where now we could change those dynamics and be able to work for a solution that would help to undergird that uh, person as well as address whatever they felt was the problem. On that issue, what you're doing, and I think this is partly a South Carolina cultural issue. And if I'm wrong, just tell me. You know, obviously, okay. you know, um, like what you're talking about, need an interpreter. Like almost part of, I think, from from what I gather and hear, people like the Gullah culture itself has its own unique language, right? right. Which is, may, and I bring all this up to say, if you're listening from all over the world, you may not understand why would you need an interpreter. In school, this seems strange to me coming from rural Indiana, right? Right. Yeah. Our, our public schools, like where I went to, people when they talk about going to private school, I'm like, well, that's kind of like my public school, what you're describing. Mm-hmm. But that's not really the case in the Charleston public school system, is it? I mean, am okay. I? Well, within the Charleston public uh, uh, school system, that is a challenge. But when I was talking about in terms of being an interpreter, it was not only the aspect of language. But it was the aspect of behavior as well as expectations. Yeah. And so with that, I was more or less interpreter of, of all of that. Yeah. Okay. But you do have in South Carolina uh, things being compound by the fact that the Gullah Geechee language as well as um, some of the expectations in terms of yeah. what's there uh, that creates another layer. Right, it just makes it even more complicated. Right. And by that, I, I want to acknowledge what you said. I wasn't saying it was just, but I was just trying to give some context. Because if you do, you're coming from uh, Indiana, you're know, the north, and we've talked, I say, you know, for me, it's been such an interesting experience here mm-hmm. to see, you know, this cultural vibrancy, you know, of the African American community that I just. That wasn't my experience of being up north or where everything was in its place. I mean, you know, there was no just this kind of conglomeration of people and generations and years. And so, so it wasn't the, the language, but that is another element. Right. But I, if I'm understanding you correct, just you're saying that to try to get families and the, the school system and all that together to even have a positive impact at all. This, this right, required an right, interpreter. To, right. In order to even have open dialogue where, because within um, the institution, the educational institution, right. there are things in terms of that was um, kind of inscribed in terms of where their view of this this child. Well, you're having these problems because you are so because you are, um, or rather you did not have this or you did not have this. So it was for me to hear what was the teacher looking for, what were they seeing in terms of the actual problem and challenge there. You guess somebody's singing in the neighborhood, y'all. It's not good if you hear that. (laughs) And um, so, and what was it that the parent was expecting of the child what was the child feel in terms of that was being asked of him or that was expected of him? How do you go through and actually hear all of these Did you things? find three complete different answers there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What was the most surprising thing to you in this experience, right? Is 
Like, you get, were, did you intentionally go as kind of an interpreter one time, or you were called yeah. once, and this kind of made you... Uh, I was called once, and as I began to, you know, basically, as they say, be the person on the wall, I don't have a dog in this fight. I'm just just right. here, and I'm just trying to understand the parent feeling as if they're needing someone uh, that is on their side because the school is trying to beat up on their kid or yeah. you know, create this problem, and they can't afford for um, this child to be put out of school because they have to work and, you know, look after. And so there are all kinds of different dynamics. And I'm sitting watching and I'm listening. And I'm also a questioner in terms of trying to help understand to make certain we are clear right. about what is being said. And while you're saying one thing, what is your interpretation of what was just said. Yeah. And so I found... Well, we could use more interpreters across the board in life, I think. <laughs> if you weren't pulled in every direction yeah. so much, maybe we could have you come to... You know, people could hire you to come to their relationship guy, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, All right, ma'am, now what did you just hear your husband say? Exactly. Yeah, you'd be amazed in terms of that being real important. So um, that was how I kind of found myself in terms of being... You know, engaged in that kind of of interaction with the parents, the schools, and others, and in that, this is something I also found and realized that in the past, in the black community, the church was basically kind of like the um, the moral teacher, the educator, the ones that helped in terms of preparing um, the uh, children for school or for uh, just life in general. Right. We had abdicated our role right. to the more professional people. And as a result, a lot of the professional people with now these expectations did not understand the concept of our cultural, um, you know, our cultural bindings within our communities, our values, our our need to yeah. preparation. So, and at the other, and on the other end, the parents were told a twofold thing. They were told that you need to trust and work with these professionals. They know what to do. And on the other end, but you're responsible too for these kids. But within, yeah, what an interesting dynamic. Yeah, and within the black church, part of what we taught our people were that, especially when it came to the children, it is not the responsibility of anybody else to teach your children there to help. Excuse me, in terms of educating your children, yeah. excuse me. That's your role within your household to go through, and the others are there to help you. You still believe that? I still, be I still believe, I that. believe that. And, basically. Yeah, and I feel that that is part of what the Pink House um, is about. Right, this yeah. is a house right, where values are being taught. Where values right. are being taught and where the foundation in terms of um, the moral, the leadership, great. you got leadership potential. I see it all over. Yeah. But you need to have that leadership potential that has a sense of... Uh, Integrity, discipline, 
morality in terms of where every you're leading someone, including yourself. Yeah. You know that you're meeting, you're leading them to the path that's that is fulfilling who you are. And so all this kind of what we've just talked about, you're seeing that you have a real situation that needs to address. You're seeing it in your church. The reading is a problem that's causing more problems. You can't right. even get to these basic. Then you're seeing that because of this, not only this, right, but a lot of different factors, school is a major issue because and uh, the term the prison to school or the school to prison pipeline right, right? It's, mm-hmm. and you're seeing this reality unfold around you in the neighborhood we're setting in daily is exactly this probably yeah. what, right if you're talking <coughs> and the research was saying that the school systems were looking at by the time you're in third grade then they will make the determination whether or not you were headed to prison whether or not you could go into the general education uh, program or you would go through um, and go to college right and more and more the ones who were college bound were being uh, reduced tremendously and the idea in terms of your general education while in itself is not bad if you're leading them toward a skill if you're doing vocational uh, education and any other things that would still prepare them right. for a livelihood with a livable wage, but South Carolina cut that out. Yeah, it, it, again, it's so different here in so many ways. I mean, this is a hardcore right to work state. Exactly. Which if you don't, uh, you know, not familiar with that, you look up right to work state. You'll uh, Indiana has the same, but not like South Carolina, where we're a big union uh, okay. state. Because oh, the factories, right? I mean, this is so we're a huge union, even though we're big labor. Mm-hmm. Where here, I get down here and figure out that what do you mean there's no unions? Right? My mom's in the postal workers union. My mm-hmm. dad's in the teamsters union from UPS. Mm-hmm. My grandpa retired from UAW General Motors. Mm-hmm. Right? I thought this was normal everywhere. I did too. Yeah. Okay, and even though, and that brings me uh, to another point in terms of you're saying. Um, the aspect of the union is just not South Carolina. It's basically in the in the South. South, yeah. Okay. I'm really like with Alabama is where I've seen this come to reality. All these factories going down there. Right. Yes. And one of the things uh, too, I am not originally from South Carolina. I am originally from Georgia. But uh, my husband and I married early, mm-hmm. and he joined the military. So we uh, toured. Uh, with him in uh, a number of different countries and uh, states. So one of the states uh, that I was in, I was in California, in San Diego, before we were transferred uh, to uh, South Carolina. That's how you got here? I didn't yeah. was a transfer from the right. military with Kelvin? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that was where I had my culture shop. Out of all the places that we had traveled, out of all the countries we had traveled, my largest um, culture shock came from coming here to South Carolina. And coming from Georgia, that's not very far. We could be in Georgia in an hour and a half from right where we're sitting, right? Exactly. Yeah. So what was the, what kind of culture shock right, that, that of all the places you've been, all you seen, you know, and that, and all these people? Why was this such a culture shock here in South Carolina? Because now uh, you're looking at the mid seventies. We had been to all these places, and there was a belief that the idea in terms of uh, racial challenges 
we're no longer. Um, and this was in the mid-70s. This is in the mid-70s. Because I thought that was the case lately, and I've realized over the last decade and a half that that's not true. Right? I really thought it was, but that's because mm-hmm. the circles I hang out in mm-hmm. don't act like that. Right? Where I come from, you can't talk like that, like in circles I right. hang out, because you know, you'll be you'll be ousted. Right. Just, you don't talk like that here. Right. Right. But I see now over the last you know decade that mm-hmm. you know that stuff is very alive and well, and it's it's a great rallying point to those who have no character, if you will. Right. right. Because you can just play on people's fears, and maybe they're racist, maybe they're scared to death. Maybe it doesn't matter how they got there. The mm-hmm. manipulators of this. You know, are really good at it. Right. That's what was so apparent to me over the last decade is right. that when you thought it was out of there and maybe it seemed like it was until people felt a push on their economics, yeah. then you can get right back to the fear and all of a sudden people that otherwise would not be like that. Yeah. We see this kind of Trump phenomenon, right? And, mm-hmm. and I don't think every person that liked Trump was a, a racist, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think that was a prerequisite of being a Trump supporter. Right. You know, obviously you saw that element really rise up in it, which was. So you could, that's why I, I kind of thought that was, I didn't think that there was really anybody still, mm-hmm. I thought you basically be laughed out of that. But. I, I thought so as well. I, and I thought, of course, the uh, guardrails that was there would hold. And unfortunately, they didn't. Yeah. But let me um, mention what else was a surprise to me. Yeah, this is in South Carolina, the mid-70s, right? Mid-70s. I could not believe the salaries. I could not believe the opportunities in terms of jobs and the jobs that you could get, what they were actually paying. Um, I did not realize that there was not uh, a union or that there would be so much that was anti. Is Georgia uh, a union state, big union state? Or? Not, uh, not really, but it, it's open a lot more. It's a lot more open than South Carolina, and I was really surprised um, at at that. Yeah. Yeah, you know. And so... What do you think it is that keeps South Carolina like that? uh, I think that it's the good old boy uh, syndrome where they are basically real closed in and only a select amount um, hold the power and hold the uh, political power to make those choices and changes. Yeah. It's one of the things that it's interesting it, you, you realize in that that it, as long as, and Trump really tested these right, things, like, is mm-hmm. as long as it's legal, right, and mm-hmm. you, know, you have whole teams of lawyers when you're in power to make sure you're doing it legal, even if it's right on the edge, right, but as right. long as it's legal, it's like anything else in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... You're right that there's a power structure that's almost unchallengeable. Right. Almost, right? It's not, right. If you look at a long arc of time, as mm-hmm. Martin Luther King said, I think we're going the right direction, but mm-hmm. there are millions of lives in the swing of that balance that don't, you know... Exactly. They don't get to participate in that, in my mm-hmm. view of it. And now, uh, South Carolina... Um, let me back up a minute. Charleston in some of these areas was still considered progressive uh, as compared to the rest of uh, South Carolina, but I was still basically uh, shocked. And one of the things, I, as I said before, that I was extremely shocked about was the aspect of um, 
the racism, the issue in terms of we're still dealing with black and black and white. And but you have one of the largest naval bases that was in the South. So how as a city did you, you know, able to get get away with that and yeah. still progress? And you think that's why? Because the Good Old Boy Network was so tight that Mm-hmm. And one of the things they're good at is they don't really care what people think. So this is one of the mistakes we, I think, we often make in the progressive front, if you would just try to, is there's this idea that if you do the right thing, it will matter. Mm-hmm. And it does matter, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there are also groups of people that say, you know, I don't play that. You, know, you keep that, you know, hippie skippy stuff with somebody else. Exactly. Pontius Pilate told Jesus, what is truth? Get, get right. <laughs> Jesus. And oh. they have perfected the art here. Uh, in terms of saying uh, or smiling real nicely in, in your face, but yeah. you know, um, and a lot of them won't argue with you. It's just that whatever it is that you want it done, will they will not do. And if you keep pushing, they will, you know, try to make certain that you understand that they're the ones in, in power. Yeah. You know, you, you think South Carolina particularly is a more closed state in that way? I mean, it, it's because they probably, from what I can see, they're one of the most ardent. Anti-federal states. I mean, we got the Civil War. We go into all of that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, even to this day, I find it compared to my businesses in Indiana. My businesses here, mm-hmm. the South Carolina is wide open. Yes, in a lot of ways. I mean, mm-hmm. where Indiana regulates the heck out of everything. And even with uh, what's there, um, there's so much pushback in regards to uh, that. That even the little regulation. Even the little regulations. Yeah. Yes. Yes. No. So, at any rate, getting back um, to Pink House, as a result of seeing the uh, need and the overall desire uh, for the kids to understand there are other choices. A lot of uh, the kids, you know, had only been in their little circle. They didn't know what it was in terms of uh, even... Uh, to go over to Mount Pleasant yeah, over the bridge. the bridge. This right. is the thing, right? People talk about nobody crosses bridges here. Right. One thing that surprised the heck out of me, uh, people would say that uh, kids from North Charleston, just was an example, mm-hmm. had never been to the beach. Yes. And this blew my mind. I thought, wait a minute, you mean tell me you grew up 20, 30 minutes from the beach, you don't go to the beach? Exactly. But coming from rural Indiana, I didn't understand really that not everybody, not everybody has a car. That was a quite a right. shock to me. Right. That people really take the bus mm-hmm. every day. Right? And I drive a 1997 old van. It's not like I'm rich, but everybody I knew had a car. Right. Or even poor people. Right. I mean, poor people's kids had cars in Indiana. Yeah. Right? I mean, and, and here, even though you have the, um, the bus and the public transit system, you still have the problem with this transit system uh, where... Um, the bus routes, the times, or whatever, are still basically a challenge, and always have been. Yeah, you know. And then uh, a lot of, a lot of the ones like when we talked about North Charleston, they couldn't afford the uh, the fee to pay to ride that. So yeah, it was no surprise that no, they didn't they didn't get a chance to go to the beach that's right there in their neighborhood. You know what's interesting is you say it's no surprise, and like I said, I. 
embarrassingly, I'd say I was completely surprised. But you said that's not so much a surprise. And so let's get back to what you're saying. There was a great long intro as to kind of how you, right, you're you're introduced to South Carolina. You see these things. You almost feel like you went back in time. Yes. Right? I mean, and that's coming from Georgia, let alone all the world in California. Yeah. And so you you see this prison-to-pipeline reality manifesting around you, Mm -hmm. and you're called to make a difference if you can my thing was that somehow I had to uh, disrupt the pattern. Yeah. You know, I love and, that, Red. That's great. Yeah. And where so that's your mission? To disrupt the pattern? Yeah. To a degree? Yeah. I have, I have to in order for that uh, person, that family, to understand that this is not the way that it has to be. It may have, we call in the church, we call some... Uh, certain uh, behaviors, generational curses. Yeah. Well, that generational curse can stop with you. Yeah. You do not have to uh, follow that same pattern. And no matter what had happened before, let's show where the uniqueness of who you are in your time and space right now, yeah. how that is different from what it was before, and how your path can be different in terms of uh, rising up. Yeah. To a level of of success, and you thought just getting people to understand they had a choice in that matter was a big start. Yes. Right? Yeah, was a big choice. And the other um, aspect, in terms of f- for me, reading involves more than just being able to read this book and follow these instructions. It was understanding also in terms of how to communicate. Yeah, you know, yeah, and absolutely. right, yeah, and then how to be able to have your own voice and your voice heard and understood. So now with being able to sit down and read and understand communications, you can begin to look and see in terms of uh, what others are saying and to hear them and to relate and to analyze in terms of how does that work, work for me. So many of our kids, especially in this community, um, are dealing with the hustle to struggle in the streets. You say the hustle to struggle? In the streets. Yeah. Right. Explain that. Okay. um, Life is, because so much is about survival, uh, from the economic situation that you have and the jobs that you uh, that your parents are working or your grandparents had and and that you all are uh, trying to make it it's all about a hustle in terms of besides working you got to get the money to pay this so how do you go over and you hustle you create something else in terms of another level of income for a time in order to to meet this challenge. So you're always hustling, okay? And and that hustle is the struggle. Yeah. The struggle is... Ooh! Ooh. Damn it! Oh, it cracked. It did. Oh, oh man, what a real kick in the butt. Wow. We're back on, Rev. Yeah. So we're going to keep it going, y'all. Okay. What a real kicker. Yeah. Son of a gun. Yeah. I guess I need a new phone. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The hustle. See, you just said, oh, I guess I need, need a new phone. You're in, you're in that situation where the other are rejoicing the fact that they have one. Yeah. Yeah. And if the screen breaks, 
it's until uh, you can't see nothing else and it's not moving before just the idea of a new phone yeah. give it to you, you know. But as I said, hustle, struggle in the streets. And for them, life is about a uh, that hustle, that struggle, and most of it involved in terms of the streets where that's where your social engagement, your your main peers are, and those who are involved where you're learning. Yeah. So my thing, again, disrupting the pattern, there is a, another way of which one can um, actually live. Um, happy, healthy, holy. How yeah. can you do that? But you got to start within, uh, within yourself. How do you begin to understand uh, that? One is the aspect in terms of beginning to know who you are. And so, to me, one of the greatest ways in terms of doing that is to begin to read. Because when you read and you read about other people and others who've had this hustle and struggle, you began to see and it began to op- open up. That's how I broke free. Right. Yeah. Through reading. Right. I started to see these things and... And I realized, I guess, just to your point, that I had a choice. And I was never the same after that. I've told you I was 23 sent in jail. <laughs> and I came out different. And I did. I, I stepped up and realized that I had a choice. Mm-hmm. And it's made all the difference. Exactly. So this, this is your mission. Not only, and you, you, reading was a tool you saw to get there. Right. But the mission is to help people, you know, dive in and, and be their potential. Exactly. Right? And realize they don't. They're, they do have a choice. They do have a choice. And then reading was a tool you saw that if I can't fix this, right, then you know all these other things. Right. I'm not really. I don't. I don't have a chance. <laughs> the good news is you can't break what's already broke. Yeah. <laughs> now the bad news is I'm dumb enough to put it back up here again. Right. <laughs> you know, and get burned on that same stove. But I'm surprised that it's still that recording. Is, yeah. It, it broke as can be now. Oh, okay. But, hey, you know, there was a time when we're talking about all these things, survival, when just even the thought about having to get a new phone would have been like, oh, God, now I'm screwed, right? I've yeah. Gotta. And luckily, after many, many years of doing this, you know, I'm not as much in that old hustle as I used to be, but I bet, right, I, and, and uh, another one or two break, I really would have that, but what you're talking about there, that survival mode and all that mm-hmm. it is so heavy and so cumbersome yes so give a real quickly if you would a couple of success stories one uh the principal of wando school he was a pink house guy kid okay. right right um, uh well not principal he's assistant principal he's assistant. at one i met him yeah, yeah exactly and, and as a matter of fact oh i hope i could bring this um I was going through some old papers um, here and, you know, deciding I'm actually going to throw away some stuff and uh, seeing what I could, what I really wanted to keep. And I came across this letter. All right. That, and this is from January 4th, 2006. Okay. And it is directed to someone for the Ron, uh, Ron Brown Scholar Program. And this was written uh, on behalf of the same young man that you were talking about. Ron Brown's quote, politics, life, and business are not spectator sports. You have to get involved to get ahead. 
Most importantly, when you reach that level of success, keep the door open and the ladder down for others to follow. Could very easily describe the life, attitude, and attributes of Ricardo Robinson. Therefore, it is with supreme delight and pleasure that I write this letter of recommendation on his behalf. I met Ricardo in 1999 when he was a very strong-willed, opinionated fifth grader. However, over the years as he matured, he's developed into a young man of integrity who is also committed to any task at hand, dedicated to goals and gracious to those he served. His service to the community has truly been one. Okay. Well, now they trying to tell us something. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. His service to the community has truly been one of opening doors and facilitating opportunities for other youth coming behind him. He is an advocate proponent of youth voice, civic engagement, and giving back to others. Ricardo has always dis demonstrated creativity, leadership, and initiative throughout his service to our organization. He has researched grants, collaboration, and resources that have brought thousands of dollars to our organization. He has recruited, trained, and inspired many youth to become engaged in service learning and community service. He designed and implemented several service learning uh, projects, such as community-led blood drive, uh, toiletry bags for the homeless shelter, planning, implementing, and executing all season of service days. A demonstration of his generosity was when he assembled a group of youth to spend three days of their Christmas vacation baking, cooking, making gifts, and singing songs for local neighborhood nursing homes. A demonstration of his concern and caring and sensitivity was when a four-year-old new participant in our program died unexpectedly and he solicited funds to help provide hotel accommodations for out-of-town relatives. On the day of the funeral and burial, he filmed the ceremony and combined pictures and previous films for the young mother to have as a memorial for her child and to send copies to relatives who could not afford to attend the service. Ricardo is a soft-spoken young man that many people marvel at his dedication, knowledge, and ability. His patience and humbleness makes him seem wise beyond his years. His gentleness and self-control make him an extraordinary mentor to other youth. Many of the center youth instantly model his method of conflict resolution and willingness to be proactive rather than reactive. Few youth would be willing to spend the time, effort, and energy giving so generously of their selves to younger students. The expertise and knowledge that he brings to the table and share with other teen tutors and youth is phenomenal. Starting out being extremely shy, it is wonderful to see him challenge barriers that would limit his growth. He's learned to be extremely comfortable and confident when speaking before his peers or behalf of his peers. He's a strong advocate of youth voice, service to the community, and youth engagement and civic participation. Finally, this young man has shown such a strong dedication and commitment to excellence that he's a hero to many other youth in the program. So I'm thrilled that Ricardo desires to become a teacher and continue to help mold the minds, hearts, and spirit of other youth. I submit to you that he's an excellent example of a young man deserving to be a recipient of this scholarship. And in sharing with that, I feel like that embodied the whole aspect of That's a kid that's come through the program, right? Right. Um, and he's only just a number. I just happened to have a letter 
<laughs> from him. We have a number of, of uh, other um, you know, teachers that came through as a result of being in the program. There are now you know, teachers and uh, professionals, and I'm, I'm just so proud of, you know, of those kids. I was telling Ian last night we were doing the podcast, and that had it not been for one or two people that cared so much about me and my, that, uh, you know, I could be dead or in prison like all those other kids that, uh, I grew, they told us all we'd be dead or in prison. Mm-hmm. And they all are. Okay. Every single one of them, including my little sister. Wow. And, um, but, you know, a few people, and what you're talking about, Rev, that this inflection point where you come into these people's lives for whatever reason, you know can make all the difference in the world. And I suppose that's what keeps you on this mission? Yes. And as a matter of fact, as I tell um, others who come to volunteer, that you do not know what a difference your presence and your engagement with these kids will make. You are planting the seed to know that there's something more, there's something different that they can uh, continue on. And you may not see the results of all of that, but do understand. Because if you come and you give authentically of who you are, you're making a difference in these kids' lives. And then you've planted, someone else will water, and of course the Lord will give that increase. Yeah. Yeah. Right on there, Rev. You, what you're saying, you partly you understand your long-term role in this is you're just a tool also maybe that God uses, right? That you're you're planting seeds that you don't know. And I'm sure as you've come up and, and been around here, there are people that planted seeds that never saw the fruit. But you saw, right, because life is a cycle, and right. you saw their work come to fruition later. And, and I tell people this often, that like with what we're doing up in Muncie, is if all I do is keep the spark alive, mm-hmm. I have done what I was called to do. Exactly. And, and really, the, the, for you, if you could really make a major impact with all this, mm-hmm. you see helping hundreds of kids that way, thousands I see um, helping hundreds of kids in terms of my first interaction, but those hundreds of kids would then go through, and they're going to impact thousands. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's so true. I mean, you, you're building, you know, good people, like you said, that mm-hmm. later, you know, as, as you grow up, right, time and wisdom has a way of showing you just how naive and ignorant you were. Exactly, yeah. These kids you believe are. that, yeah. You believe you can make that difference, but you go forward and do it. Because to me, one of the things here is to create that environment, one where they can feel safe, happy, they can make mistakes and still learn in terms of that's okay and uh, be able to correct and make that decision. You made a mistake, and now what? Yeah, that's life. I mean, life is a series of... You know, mistakes and growth and fallbacks and one step forward, two steps back, and it's right. how you react. You, exactly. We always hear this. That yeah, I think that's part of what you're to, you're trying to give uh, young people the tools right. to actually participate in this world and have a choice in it and understand that. Right. Exactly. You know, um, as you just said, it, it's life is. Um, Ninety, ten uh, percent of what happens to you, ninety percent of how you react yeah. to it, 
And if you learn, even in terms of something that happened to you was, you know, the hard, most horrible thing, also learn that this this too shall pass. Yeah. Yeah. And that you do not have to be stuck there, and none of the things that happens define who you are in regards to that. You still have a choice. As yeah. long as you get up and move, you have a choice, and yeah. you can make a difference in that. Rude, you, you've made such a, a difference in, you know, people's lives, you know, that uh, you may never even see, right, some of their... 50 years from now, right, something may happen that you have no idea the seed you planted, right, grew into this. If, if people hear what you're doing and they, they want to help, um, what can people do to help you right now at the Pink House here locally? Mm-hmm. Not big picture idea, which we want to break. I mean, right now, how do you guys make this struggle work? I mean, it's this has got to be hard. It is hard. Um, of course, there's always, um, in terms of financial, yes, but... The biggest issue for me is that if you will come and you will share your passion with us. With the kids, right? We're with the about kids, this. exactly. <laughs> I can go through and, you know, in terms of like with the summer program, uh, while there's a lot in terms of the educational aspect and making certain that there's not information lost, but what a good opportunity it is to be able to go through and learn how to do photography, learn how to do uh, technology, learn how to sow, learn how to plant our garden. Yeah, the garden is so amazing. Exactly. And so part of that is when you come, we can go through and then create a little segment around that particular area. That makes a a difference. Um, Someone to just uh, come in. I believe in the old-fashioned aspect that it takes a village to raise a kid and that there's so much to be learned within the communities right. and with the people coming and just sharing and interacting with the kids and that we need to yeah. actually do more of, of that. And that interaction both ways on the chain, right? For the yeah. kids to realize people care. And I... Uh, also for the for the adults to realize you know what these kids are going through. Rip, on that, I think um, we could wrap it up right there, and we'll come back and talk more about your mission. I just want to introduce okay. people to the Pink House, to you, okay. what you do. Okay. Pinkhousecharleston.com, they can get a hold of you. Yes. And um, you're always looking for volunteers, like I said, who want to share their passion and knowledge. Yeah. Amongst what else could, uh, if anybody could do one thing for you, if you got one last chance to... If we have one last uh, chance in terms of volunteering, um, just come on out and, and be a part of the Pink House. Yeah. That's all I want right now. You know, there is your uh, invitation from Reverend Christian King herself. Come out, get involved, be a part of what we're doing here. Rev is making a difference. And I've known Rev a long time now, and she has been working this, and she wants and needs the help. And I wanted you guys to get to know Reverend in her heart. What an inspiration she is to me in the community. So thank you for listening very much to FMMission.com's podcast. We are for people on a mission in arts, entrepreneurship, and activism. And if you one of those passions fuels you, I hope that this uh, podcast gives you the tools, resources, and services to do that. I'm your host, Mike Mario. I will be back next time with uh, another fun-filled guest with a lot of working knowledge of their passion. And I love sharing that with you. Thank you for tuning in. FMMission.com.